What if it's true? What if the story of Jesus is true? What if He is the eternal Son of God who became flesh, a living, breathing human being, and did so without giving up His Godhood, but as one of us lived in perfect righteousness every minute of His life, lived in complete obedience to the righteous requirements of the law of God. And at the conclusion of that life, freely gave His own life as a sacrifice for sin. Sin which He did not ever participate in. So, not His sin. Our sin. And so, in giving His life, completely satisfied God's demand for justice and having satisfied God's demand for justice reconciles anyone who receives this to God re-establishing fellowship with the living God for alienated human beings. And in re-establishing fellowship with the living God, making us alive again. Because alienation from God is dead. What if he has now ascended into heaven a man and is now one of us seated at the right hand of God? That is to be in the place of God's prime minister. God's executive authority, the right hand. Well, that's the place he's only returned to the place of the eternal son. But now there's a man there. One of us. And he earned his place at the right hand as a man by his perfect life among sinners and never sinning. I, I know, you can't even imagine that. And giving his life, sacrifice from sin, and being raised, and ascending, and is now seated where we are told, he lives all the time for, henceforth and forevermore 
to make intercession for those who trust Him to do so. That is to say, even today, if I am to sin, and I'm fairly confident I am to sin today, I certainly would never claim that I've gone a whole day without sinning. If I am to sin today, the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, made man, whose life was given for this very purpose, will say to the Father, it's on me. So that whenever the Father views me, He views me in Him. And so, possessing His righteousness, not mine. And what if it's true that this promise we have, that one day the man Jesus will return in the flesh, and on that day, raise us all into His current embodied condition. That is, we will experience fully His resurrection from the dead so that sin no longer will have any presence in my life. And I will walk in fellowship with God and as a consequence in perfect fellowship with all of you all the time from that day forward. What if it's true? Oh, and there are some other things that, are, that it claims. One is that if a person possesses this, it's because God made it so. And God redeemed that person. And God has laid hold of that person in such a way that it cannot ever be lost. What if it's true? Does that change anything? Now? I would like to propose to you that in the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters were all about the great story of the goodness of God toward His people, the body of Christ, the church. The, all the first three chapters were all about what God has done. The good news of our salvation, of, our, of the outpouring of God's magnificent grace into us or upon us so that we are born again, made alive again, raised together with Christ, seated in Christ, even now in the heavenly places, and that we, this body and the whole body of Christ, are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus. And the second half of the book of Ephesians is about this. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, this being true, this should happen. What? If it's true, it should make a powerful, meaningful, immeasurable difference in a person. It is changing if it's true. Well, especially if I believe it. If I trust myself to it. If it's true about me that I am utterly secured for eternity in the love of the eternal God, and so being completely restored to proper relationship with everything, then I can be a different person than I have been. In fact, if that's true of me, I am a different person than I used to be. And so, it should make a big difference. Now, when we started at the beginning of chapter 4, we saw this. It says, I therefore, a prisoner of the, for the Lord, urge you. <laughs> so, on the basis of what I've said in the first three chapters, I urge you to walk. Well, that's walk means live. And walk means live in a comprehensive sense. It's about who you are and how you behave and what you say and how you think and what your emotions are. It is a whole person thing. Because you are not the same person you were. You were dead. And now you've been made alive. Uh, do live people walk different? Do live people, sorry, do live people walk differently than dead people? Yeah, significantly. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, worthy doesn't mean deserving. Because that would be nonsense in the context of the book of Ephesians. Worthy means with proper weighty consideration. In other words, I urge you to walk in a manner that really recognizes the greatness of God's goodness showered on you. And if I walk all the time, in recognition of the goodness of God's grace showered on me, well, that's going to be different than if I forget about that, isn't it? And so, I walk in a manner worthy, here's a summary, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That is, eager to live in real, open, active, loving fellowship with the saints. 
That is the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace that was described in chapter 2 as Christ Himself is our peace. He has made us, plural, into one new man in Him. And so Jesus prayed in the great high priestly prayer. The closing of His prayer was, Oh, that they would be one like the Father and the Son and the Spirit are one. That's really one. And yet, there's a they. The the oneness of the body of Christ doesn't erase our individual personhood. It embraces it. And it's one person in fellowship with another person in fellowship with another person just like the eternal fellowship of the triune God. One. Anyway, I just wanted to remind us all about the linkage between the goodness of Christ, the goodness of the Gospel, the truth of that message, and the results of that message in the life of the church. Because the whole second half of the book of Ephesians is about nothing but that. What if it's true? So, now we've come, we've, we've reviewed the first thing in the what if it's true. It's in the functioning of the body where God has given gifted people into the body of Christ. You, me, every last one of us. God has made us to fit where we are in the body of Christ. And in that place, we function together as each part does its part. We function so that the whole thing grows. It grows stronger. It grows stronger in fellowship with Him. It grows stronger in the fellowship we have with each other. The love of Christ grows in its expression between us and in its expression outwardly into the world. And so we grow larger as well as stronger. So that's the part we've already covered. And then today we get to, uh, well, a little bit more individualized instruction in verse 17. Let me just read today's text. This I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. It's like reading a newspaper. But that is not the way you learned Christ assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. 
to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, we're only going to get down to uh, verse 22 today. We're not going to talk about put on the new self till next time. <clears throat> today we're going to talk about the old man. The old man. Paul begins by saying you must no longer walk as Gentiles walk. Your way of life really should change. Does that feel like a burden when I say that? When I say your way of life really should change, do you go, oh yeah, i got to really work harder at changing my way of life? It's hard, but I'm committing myself today again. If that's your response, let me suggest to you that's not the right response. But we'll come back to that. You really, your way of life really should change so that you no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. And then there is a very long description of how Gentiles walk. We read this in the words of Jesus in chapter 3 of the book of John earlier. Light has come into the world, but people preferred darkness. And here we read, they were darkened in their understanding. So how do Gentiles walk? Well, the first expression is in the futility of their thinking in the futility of their thinking. What that means is the world's way of thinking is empty. It's going nowhere. It is what Solomon described in the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity, everything is just meaningless and empty. That's this expression, the futility of their thinking. Now, sometimes their thinking doesn't look futile. People invent all kinds of cool stuff. I'm keeping track of how long I've spoken on this really cool item invented by futile thinkers. So sometimes it doesn't seem that futile. Sometimes it seems useful, even necessary, helpful. And yeah, on a certain level it is. This will end in emptiness. It doesn't matter how successful you are in this life. 
if you don't have life in the next life, it's futile. It's ultimately empty. And of course, many aspects of it are already visibly empty. Then he says this, being darkened in their understanding. Darkened in their understanding. Have you noticed this is about thinking? And understanding? In the dark, you don't understand. You have no idea what your actual situation is because you're not seeing it. And in the world's way, the world thinks they know something and they are oblivious to the things that matter most. Darkened in their understanding. What makes their thinking futile? What makes their understanding dark? Well, I think it's in the next expression, alienated from the life of God. Alienated from the life of God. This is the difference. To be alienated from the life of God is to be dead. Because in Him is life. This is what the judgment God pronounced in the garden. The day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Because to eat of it, you must disobey God, and to disobey God, you must alienate yourself and all of your descendants from God. Dead. alienated from God from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them <clears throat> again apparently there's something they need to know that they don't know that they're ignorant of and this is due to their hardness of heart <laughs> have you ever shared the Gospel, and it just bounced off of someone? Like they can't even really hear it? It's hard. It's hard. In, for, in 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us it's blind. Can't see. It's in darkness. And it's hard. And so, this great, magnificent good news that we know they ignore because of their hard hearts. What is it they don't know? Christ. And so, they've become callous, we read. 
unfeeling. They've given themselves over to sensuality, according to this. That means, that word given themselves over, given over, literally means to betray. <laughs> like Judas betrayed Jesus. He gave Him over. Well, they've betrayed themselves. Surrendered themselves to sensuality. And they are, this says, greedy to practice all kinds of impurity. <laughs> so, they're seeking out all kinds of unclean practices. You should no longer walk this way. You should no longer walk this way. It's a horrible way. Here's something we Christians forget. We are the redeemed people of God. We are the saved. We are the saints in Christ. We are the people credited with the very righteousness of Christ. We are the people of the resurrection of the new life in Him. What we possess is the thing itself, the reason for which God made us. And God promises to give us all things in Christ. We are wealthy beyond imagination in every respect. Not just the material stuff the world chases after, but the spiritual wealth of fellowship with the living God. I can go before God at any moment about anything and expect a loving response from Almighty God. How do we view the Gentile walk? Well, sometimes we view it with scorn like those filthy people. We adopt this view. Of sinners forgetting we could walk this way. In fact, we often do. In fact, Paul has to remind us not to. Even though we've been set free from it. And it's ridiculous to look down on somebody for behaving according to their nature. The right view of the Gentile walk is a view of heartbroken compassion. Oh, if they only knew. 
if they could only see what we have seen. So, of course, you must no longer walk that way. Because you have seen it. And it is no longer necessary for you to be futile in your thinking or darkened in your understanding or alienated from the life of God. You possess the life of God or hard-hearted or callous or sensual or impure. Seeking out all kinds of unclean practices. That's their natural way. That's not your natural way anymore. And the sense of Paul is how supremely foolish would it be for someone who knows Christ to continue to walk as the Gentiles walk. I dare say it's even more foolish than the Gentiles. Since they have no reason to do otherwise. And what we need to do is have compassion to pray. <laughs> to talk to God about people before we talk to people about God. To pray for them to see that the Spirit would open their eyes. So Paul says, that's not the way you learned Christ, assuming you've learned Christ. And then, then this very interesting statement. The truth is in Jesus. <laughs> What's all they're thinking like it's not true? It's missing the most important thing that's true. And where is that? In Jesus. This is the difference between them and us. Nothing about me. The truth is in Him. This is also the difference between the old me and the new me. The dead me and the alive me. The difference is not that I figured something out because I'm such a genius and not that I did anything but that I discovered the truth that is in Jesus because the Spirit of Jesus enabled me to do so. And so one day I went, oh, Oh, it's true. What's true? Christ is true. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is true. And this is the difference between the old me and the new me is I know the one who is true. And so my thinking is not futile. My understanding is not darkened. It's in the light. I am not ignorant. 
I am not alienated from the life of God. My heart has been softened. I didn't do it. He did it. And so I am not callous, not sensual, not impure. And so I should not walk in these ways. You know, in these in today's world, everyone's telling you all the time you should be true to yourself. Authenticity, that's the thing, right? Well, Christian, be true to your new man self. And who is the new man? The one new man that we are all made together in? Christ the truth. And he says, you've learned to put off your old man. You know, he started out talking about don't walk like them. And now he's saying, put off your old man. So, them, you know, you still have your inner Gentile. The Scripture calls it the flesh. The sinful nature, we sometimes refer to it. And we have this decision to either walk in the Spirit or walk in the flesh. And Paul's saying, don't be foolish. Don't walk like the Gentiles. Don't follow your inner Gentile. Don't go in the ways of the flesh. Go in the true way. The true way. The way you truly believe in the, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Walk that way. Put off the old man. He describes it like this. It belongs to your former manner of life. I think it would be better to say your old manner of life because when I say former, it, may, it sounds like maybe you're entirely over it. Well, you're entirely saved. You're born again. You're in Christ. You possess the life of Christ. But your old man is like a ball and chain still. Your old man is still hanging around suggesting to you that you should be ignorant and hard-hearted and callous and sensual and impure because well, look at them. They're doing it and they're having a great time. And they're fools. So, you put that away. You let it go. You take it off like dirty clothes. Or like Hebrews said, you lay it aside. You lay aside the weight and the sin that easily entangles you. You don't have to you don't have to put on some boxing gloves and fight it off. You just let it go. You take it off. You don't need it. It's bad for you. It's unhealthy. It's bad. It's corrupting. Just take it off. Let it go. Look to Christ. 
He says, your former way of life is corrupt. Is being spoiled. Rotting. Ruined. By deceitful desires. The flesh has desires that are deceitful. In other words, they're lying to you. Here's something I've noticed about myself. I'm perfectly capable of lying to myself and believing it. Jeremiah wrote, I think it was Jeremiah, it might have been Isaiah, the heart is deceitful above all things. That's the old man. The new man knows the truth. What if it's true? Live with that question. If the Gospel is true, what should I do? It's a little bit different from the question, what would Jesus do? Because it's based on what Jesus did. If Jesus did that, what should I do? Slightly different. But it's a good way to think. If that's true, if I'm secure in the love of Christ, I can risk my reputation in Christ for the sake of communicating the love of Christ. I can let other people look down on me because I'm a Christian. Because who are we talking about? If the Gospel's true, I will put on the new man. The old man, according to this text, is ignorant. Let me just say it the mean way. Really, really stupid. Like, the stupidest thing that ever happened was Adam and Eve eating the fruit. And everything we've done that's the same as that really just supremely idiotic. The old man. Yours too. He's alone. The old man, alienated, isolated, because he's all about himself, he's all he's got. Can't really be open to others. He's ignorant, alone, and dying. You don't know why, you don't want to walk like that. Do you? When sin appeals to you, <laughs> that's a deceitful desire. It's really stupid. It will isolate you and it will kill you. The new man, on the other hand, is aware. He's not ignorant. He's aware. And he understands the condition of people in this world in their sin. He's aware. 
And he understands his own possession of the righteousness of Christ. He's aware. He also understands his tendency to listen to the old man. He's aware. And he's connected. He has access to the throne room of God and he lives in the fellowship of the body of Christ. And he is alive in Christ. So Paul is posing to us this great choice. These two walks. You can walk as the Gentiles walk. Or you can walk in newness of life. And as we proceed through these texts, some of them are like super practical, like how a husband ought to behave toward his wife. They are all this. What if it's true? What, how can I walk in the new life that Christ has guaranteed to me and put off the old way? The stupid, alone, dying way. Let us put on Christ. We're going to talk about that next Sunday. Father, thank You for the Word of God, the truth of the Gospel. Lord, I'm sure we don't appreciate very well how good You've been to us. But Lord, I pray that we would know it more and more. That our thinking would be revolutionized by the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for the strengthening ministry of the Holy Spirit so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith so that we can know the unsearchable depth of His love, of Your love for us in Him. That we would be transformed. That in this community, this church would be a beacon of this magnificent grace. That we reject the way the Gentiles walk. We don't reject the Gentiles. We love them. We share Your love with each other and the world around us because we know it so well. Lord, help us. Help us, please. To see the light. In Jesus' name, Amen.